What would the world be like if we had at least someone whispering into you, your ear, I believe in you 100%. So thank you for giving me your time. I know that that's very precious for you today. What I want to take give you is the kind of advances in neuroscience that have completely escaped most training manuals, most understanding. It's not taught to anybody yet. Um, and things like this take about 20 years to hit textbooks and training manual. Number one thing that can buffer all your worry. The more connected we are and the more help we, and the more we can express how we're feeling, the more we see that all of us are feeling the same thing. I want to describe to you why that is, where it's come from, and why are connections the key to neuroplasticity and to unlocking our potential. So just from the day dot, from the day we we're born and the, the way the brain actually first started being formed was like millions of years ago. The primary goal of the brain outside just keeping you alive from a survival perspective is actually built. Almost 50% or more of the brain is dedicated to social cognition and connection. And that's because our survival depends on us being cooperative building relationships and being able to see each other and hear each other and listen to each other in a way that's really effective, that gives us opportunity and success. And so what's, what's changed, therefore, is our understanding for the first time in 8,000 years of history, see and understand for the first time the inside of a human living brain. And we didn't have this capability until very recently. And that's our ability to use language, our ability to connect, our ability to empathize and to understand people is really relatively new in terms of evolutionary history. So if you're feeling stressed, know that this part of the brain has gone offline. So when we talk today about connection and neuroplasticity and the techniques you can do to maintain blood flow and oxygen up there, that's what I'm referring to as neuroplasticity and the tools that we can drive in every day to try and maintain our brain in a way that's actually against in the next step in evolutionary history. Why is that? Why, if we're so clever, we're much cleverer, aren't we, than crocodiles and frogs and fishes in our own mind. We're humans. We can do this. We can build that. But why is it that most of us are really stuck in that survival brain? And that's because the architecture of where our brain has come from has been built over millions of years of history. And it's, that's why it's so hardwired and so important and why we're all alive today and how resilient we are as a species has been driven by partly aspects of how this circuit wires the rest of our body. And each of us, because we're all wired differently, um, completely differently um, from our genetics, our blueprint, our, our, how we grew up, I can go down that line for hours, but I'm not going to today. But that ability to regulate this circuit that's so hardwired is the next step in human species evolution. And that's why people that can really understand this and then put in place all the steps to mitigate the effect that that circuit has in our modern world on our ability to thrive moving forward is really the key step that I hope to get across today. The curious steps you can ask yourself questions about and also the environments that you're exposed to, how much are they contributing? I'm putting, I'm putting it out to you from 30 years of research and continuing that the simplest 
fastest route outside, I'll give you some individual things you can do, is connection. Building social connections and support. How can we in this community lean on each other to consider what are the real worries there? How could that not be a worry anymore? The number one thing the brain why likes this is the most is stress <laughs> and it wires it in much faster than happiness and pleasure at 10x the rate at least. So when we start to feel a lot of stress, the brain is processing that and it's got this amazing system or circuitry in the brain that's what I call a smoke detector. Your heart rate goes up, your breathing gets shallower. These are physical things happening inside your body, but it's driven by the smoke detector. And because we're stressed, we start putting up walls. And then we get more stressed because we're separated from our community. And we still haven't done anything about the smoke detector. Now, if we don't do anything about that smoke detector, then eventually it just goes off and it makes us want to just stay in bed or it makes us want to withdraw. Not talk to people, not connect with people. We feel anxious about this idea of having to go out and meet people. So this whole loneliness epidemic starts with that smoke detector. You feel like you're really ca capable of multitasking, spinning lots of plates in the air, and many of us won't be aware, and I certainly wasn't when I was doing this as well, that this is actually um, causing activation of that oldest part of the brain, even if you think it's not, because the brain is connected to all parts of the body through the nervous system, and it's taking in all that sensory information at all the time. And so that's why... This really matters to be able to take that moment out, step back and, and become really aware of that because basically if you're not, the brain will stop you at some point because that's just how it works. It can only handle so much. So that's what today's all about is understanding neuroplasticity, understanding the brain's brilliant. It is It can change with any kind of training, support, effort. Whatever environment you create, it will change and, and shape, be shaped by that. The people you put around you, what you eat, um, the way you handle stress, all of that is shaping the brain all the time across our whole lifespan until the day we die. It's just after 25, uh, it gets harder to do, meaning that you have to be intentful to do it. Up till 25, the neuroplasticity switches are really, really on and really strong. And that's why things get uh, into the brain faster when we're younger, why it's easier to learn things when we're younger, but we can do it across our whole lifespan. And in fact, if we don't, that leads to early onset dementia. It leads to the you know all sorts of other things. So if you want to learn more about this outside this session, um, here are all the ways you can uh, do that. Um, this book by George Valiant um, is brilliant, a brilliant book. It's the Harvard Grant study. It's the longest study, started in 1932. It was a study of men at Harvard, and, they, and it's still going. And the really cool bottom line of this study was, and they hated this result, that the most important thing for happiness, health, and uh, and longevity was the quality of your relationships. 
the quality of your relationships. And the people running this study, as you can imagine, were really upset about that result and they tried to not let it be the result because they sh- they were sure it was just going to be the food, the the going to Harvard, the economic success, money, you know, um, you name it, all the things that we would maybe think about. The bottom line after 80 years of following men and their and their offspring was the quality of the relationship. And I hope to show you, and that's obviously why, isn't it? Because the brain is mainly designed for social connection and being part of a tribe because the strong we're just so much stronger together than we are separate. This is also the bottom line out of the Blue Zones by Dan Butner's book. I don't know if you've read the Blue Zone study, uh, studying people in Okinawa and other places where they're living very long and healthy without chronic diseases. And they look at the food, but it really came down to being part of community and having purpose around that. Um, I highly recommend this book. It's a fabulous book. It's another journalist went on a store and uh, went on a, a tour for about five years after taking drugs for thirteen years, believing he had a chemical imbalance, which is why he was depressed. And you know, I'm a pharmacist and medically trained. Uh, And what it came down to at the end of the book, um, it's just a beautiful book. It's all about connections and how to reconnect back into society. And that's why we're having a crisis too, as we're heading more towards the American model of individualism, going it alone. We can do this, that kind of approach, because I'm also American. I understand that approach, but it doesn't work. And uh, the more we can be connected with each other and help each other, the more much greater chance we have of being really successful across our whole life. And I don't just mean materially successful, but just feeling successful inside ourselves. And I obviously I have a podcast too, and I just interviewed Dean Yates, um, who was a Reuters bureau chief in Baghdad. And him and I talk a lot about that as well. I also work with Mark Williams, who's a cognitive neuroscientist. He's just released a book this month called The Connected Species, How the Evolution of the Human Brain Can Save the World. So he's out in schools giving talks about um, getting rid of smartphones out of schools and also helping kids read books again because if you read a book, you can learn much more quickly and demonstrating how we're a social species and and that's why we're getting, um, why we have a mental health crisis. I've come to learn as a neuroscientist, we need to feel like we belong. The whole machinery, a lot of the brain dedicated just for social, what we call social cognition, that is all of the different pieces that are needed for us to interact with people, to understand people, to read emotions, and all of these other things. So that part of the brain is incredibly important. We're built for connection because it's very important for our survival. How far back do you think um, the genetic evolution goes? So. This is such a great question, Joey. Oh, thank you. So it goes way back before humans. Mm-hmm. So our our need to be part of a social group, uh, you can even go back and look at um, birds that are flying together, mm-hmm. you know, birds of a feather flock together. Yep. And why is that? Because that ability to stay together keeps you safe. So the more you're surrounded by other people, the more resources you have to protect yourself from predators. Yep. So that's how old it is. These circuits are so old. So they go way back beyond even our own human species. What do you think has happened to make people feel more anxious now? 
our separation from that village or that tribe feeling mm -hmm. as we've become more disconnected in a way. That's where we have to lean into each other and help each other be successful. It shouldn't be going it alone. Um, that need and a different set of expertise, but that can leverage off each other to actually create something that's even better than the sum of the parts. And that's what we've actually shown in science, scientific. Think about flow. There's so many books written about this. You just need to get in a flow state, et cetera. But what they've demonstrated now is that if we're together on this call and we're feeling safe, we're feeling connected, and we're listening and learning, you actually get an activation of a completely different brain region, which is this one over here, that happens when a team is flowing together. So there's absolutely strong evidence that this one, two brains together are much more than one plus one equals two. They create something that's more like four. The same if you have your team feeling safe supported and connected around a strategy where you're all going in the same direction. You know that feeling when you're all going in the same direction and you're all supporting each other for the same goal. That's because a different part of the brain is being activated that you cannot achieve on your own because we can achieve so much together that we can't achieve alone. And, uh, and this has been demonstrated through some scientific uh, research here and and actually finding the brain region that's being activated. So there's all sorts of strategies you can use individually to drive your brain to more positive direction and to try and prevent uh, the bottom part of the brain being significantly um, activated most of the day that leads to us being stressed where we want to eat sugar in the afternoon, where we want to can't wait to open that bottle of wine by the evening. Um, I can go you know, down many, many paths of the things I used to do to mitigate all the stress of running a huge lab in San Francisco, et cetera. Um, these are the things I do myself that I'm sharing with you, but there's a lot of scientific evidence. Um, so everything I do for myself, I've learned through either uh, scientific papers, then following uh, the protocols, measuring all of the biomarkers myself, having blood tests um, and all sorts of other things. But I'd say these are the top four things that I would leave you with today as things you can do yourself that make a big difference for your brain health. And that's um, your morning routine. Uh, and what I mean by that is try and not reach for your phone straight away um, because uh, that actually affects um, your stress system through your visual system, which I'll show you in a second. Starting the day with a cold shower, meaning at the end of a warm shower, turn it to cold. There's lots of scientific evidence as to why that supports neuroplasticity. Uh, sugar, uh, that's my research lab has shown sugar is addictive as alcohol and nicotine. It changes the neural pathways in the brain, making us more stressed, uh, which is why we reach for it <laughs> in the afternoon. And then, of course, the social connection piece that we just spent a lot of time on because I think that's the number one thing that you could do straight away that can have a big effect. The morning routine, meaning that when you open your eyes in the morning, try and reach for a panoramic view. Keep your head still, but try and take in a panoramic view. What that does, that immediately it turns down the stress system. So there's a big connection between our visual system and uh, the parts of our brain that drive stress. So that's a really easy thing to not have to worry about, but just to do. And you can do that throughout the day is to take in a panoramic view. It will change and tune down that part of the brain that's driving how you're feeling about being stressed and worried about.
And then, of course, there's tons of research in this area. I've interviewed the people that imaged Wim Hof's brain. I've done the course myself and I've measured all the biomarkers. And basically, cold showers work because especially if you end up putting it on the back of your neck, because that's where the cerebellum sits. It's where the brain stem sits. It's where it's the interconnection between your nervous system and your body and all parts of your brain. And it will totally be the pathway to making you feel way less stressed and worried. As you, as Australians, we need to come together and help each other and start going back to our roots of thriving minds and community. Um, and I hope that um, you learned something today. So thank you for listening. <laughs>